Hello and welcome back to my podcast. My name is Siddharth Shah. I am the CEO of Think and Grow Rich Academy. We represent the Napoleon Hill Foundation in India. Chapter 15. How to outweigh the six ghosts of fear? Part 2. The fear of old age. In the main, this fear grows out of two sources. First, the thought that old age may bring with it poverty. Secondly, and by far the most common source of origin from false and cruel teachings of the past which have been too well mixed with fire and brimstone and other bogies cunningly designed to enslave man through fear in the basic fear of old age man has two very sound reasons for his apprehension one growing out of his distrust of his fellow men who may seize whatever worldly goods he may possess and the other arising from the terrible pictures of the world beyond which were planted in his mind through social heredity before he came into full possession of his mind the possibility of ill health which is more common as people grow older is also a contributing cause of this common fear of old age eroticism also enters into the cause of the fear of old age as no man cherishes the thought of diminishing sex attraction the most common cause of fear of old age is associated with the possibility of poverty poor house is not a pretty word it throws a chill into the mind of every person who faces the possibility of having to spend his declining years on a poor farm Another contributing cause of the fear of old age is the possibility of loss of freedom and independence as old age may bring with it the loss of both physical and economic freedom symptoms of the fear of old age the commonest symptoms of this fear are the tendency to slow down and develop an inferiority complex at the age of mental maturity around the age of 40 falsely believing oneself to be slipping because of age the truth is that man's most useful years mentally and spiritually are those between 40 and 60 the habit of speaking apologetically of oneself as being old merely because one has reached the age of 40 or 50 instead of reversing the rule and expressing gratitude for having reached the age of wisdom and understanding the habit of killing of initiative imagination and self reliance by falsely believing one self too old to exercise these qualities the habit of the man or woman of 40 dressing with the aim of trying to appear much younger and affecting mannerisms of youth thereby inspiring ridicule by both friends and strangers the fear of death to some this is the cruelest of all the basic fears the reason is obvious the terrible pangs of fear associated with the thought of death in the majority of cases may be charged directly to religious fanaticism so called heathen are less afraid of death than the more civilized for hundreds of millions of years man has been asking the still unanswered questions whence and whither where did i come from and where am i going during the darker ages of the past the more cunning and crafty were not slow to offer the answer to these questions for a price witness now the major source of origin of the fear of death come into my tent embrace my faith accept my dogmas and i will give you a ticket that will admit you straight away into heaven when you die cries the leader of sectarianism remain out of my tent says the same leader and may the devil take you and burn you throughout eternity eternity is a long time fire is a terrible thing the thought of eternal punishment with fire not only causes man to fear death it often causes him to lose his reason it destroys interest in life and makes happiness impossible During my research I reviewed a book entitled A Catalog of the Gods in which were listed the 30000 gods which man has worshiped think of it 30000 of them represented by everything from a crawfish to a man it is little wonder that men have become frightened at the approach of death 
while the religious leader may not be able to provide safe conduct into heaven nor by lack of such provision allow the unfortunate to descend into hell the possibility of the latter seems so terrible that the very thought of it lays hold of the imagination in such a realistic way that it paralyzes reason and sets up the fear of death in truth no man knows and no man has ever known what heaven or hell is like nor does any man know if either place actually exists this very lack of positive knowledge opens the door of the human mind to the charlatan so he may enter and control that mind with his stock of legerdemain and various brands of pious fraud and trickery the fear of death is not as common now as it was during the age when there were no great colleges and universities men of science have turned the spotlight of truth upon the world and this truth is rapidly freeing men and women from this terrible fear of death the young men and young women who attend the colleges and universities are not easily impressed by fire and brimstone through the aid of biology astronomy geology and other related sciences the fears of the dark ages which grip the minds of men and destroy their reason have been dispelled insane asylums are filled with men and women who have gone mad because of the fear of death this fear is useless death will come no matter what anyone may think about it accept it as a necessity and pass the thought out of your mind it must be a necessity or it would not come at all perhaps it is not as bad as it has been pictured the entire world is made of only two things energy and matter in elementary physics we learn that neither matter nor energy the only two realities known to man can be created nor destroyed both matter and energy can be transformed but neither can be destroyed life is energy if it is anything if neither energy nor matter can be destroyed of course life cannot be destroyed life like other forms of energy may be passed through various processes of transition or change but it cannot be destroyed death is mere transition if death is not mere change or transition then nothing comes after death except a long eternal peaceful sleep and sleep is nothing to be feared thus you may wipe out forever the fear of death symptoms of the fear of death the general symptoms of this fear are the habit of thinking about dying instead of making the most of life due generally to lack of purpose or lack of a suitable occupation this fear is more prevalent among the aged but sometimes the more youthful are victims of it The greatest of all remedies for the fear of death is a burning desire for achievement backed by useful service to others. A busy person seldom has time to think about dying. He finds life too thrilling to worry about death. Sometimes the fear of death is closely associated with the fear of poverty where one's death would leave loved ones poverty stricken. In other cases the fear of death is caused by illness and the consequent breaking down of physical body resistance. The commonest cause of the fear of death are ill health poverty lack of appropriate occupation disappointment over love insanity religious fanaticism old man worry worry is a state of mind based upon fear it works slowly but persistently it is insidious and subtle step by step it digs itself in until it paralyzes one's reasoning faculty destroys self confidence and initiative worry is a form of sustained fear caused by indecision therefore it is a state of mind which can be controlled an unsettled mind is helpless indecision makes an unsettled mind most individuals lack the will power to reach decisions promptly and to stand by them after they have been made even during the normal business conditions during periods of economic unrest such as the world recently experienced 
the individual is handicapped not alone by his inherent nature to be slow at reaching decisions but he is influenced by the indecision of others around him who have created a state of mass indecision during the depression the whole atmosphere all over the world was filled with fearenza and variitis the two mental disease germs which began to spread themselves after the wall street frenzy in 1929 There is only one known antidote for these germs. It is the habit of prompt and firm decision. Moreover, it is an antidote which every individual must apply for himself. We do not worry over conditions once we have reached a decision to follow a definite line of action. I once interviewed a man who was to be electrocuted 2 hours later. The condemned man was the calmest of some 8 men who were in the death cell with him. His calmness prompted me to ask him how it felt to know that he was going into eternity in a short while. With a smile of confidence on his face he said it feels fine just think brother my troubles will soon be over i have had nothing but trouble all my life it has been a hardship to get food and clothing soon i will not need these things i have felt fine ever since i learned for certain that i must die i made up my mind then to accept my fate in good spirit as he spoke he devoured a dinner of proportions sufficient for 3 men eating every mouthful of the food brought to him and apparently enjoying it as much as if no disaster awaited him decision gave this man resignation to his fate decision can also prevent one's acceptance of undesired circumstances the six basic fears became translated into a state of worry through indecision Relieve yourself forever of the fear of death by reaching a decision to accept death as an inescapable event. Whip the fear of poverty by reaching a decision to get along with whatever wealth you can accumulate without worry. Put your foot upon the neck of the fear of criticism by reaching a decision not to worry about what other people think, do or say. Eliminate the fear of old age by reaching a decision to accept it not as a handicap but as a great blessing which carries with it wisdom self-control and understanding not known to youth acquit yourself of the fear of ill health by the decision to forget symptoms master the fear of loss of love by reaching a decision to get along without love if that is necessary kill the habit of worry in all its forms by reaching a general blanket decision that nothing which life has to offer is worth the price of worry with this decision will come poise peace of mind and calmness of thought which will bring happiness a man whose mind is filled with fear not only destroys his own chances of intelligent action but he transmits these destructive vibrations to the minds of all who come into contact with him and destroys also their chances even a dog or a horse knows when its master lacks courage moreover a dog or a horse will pick up the vibrations of fear thrown off by its master and behave accordingly lower down the line of intelligence in the animal kingdom one finds the same capacity to pick up the vibrations of fear a honey bee immediately senses fear in the mind of a person for reasons unknown a bee will sting the person whose mind is releasing vibrations of fear much more rapidly than it will molest the person whose mind registers no fear the vibrations of fear pass from one mind to another just as quickly and as surely as the sound of the human voice passes from the broadcasting station to the receiving set of a radio and by the self same medium mental telepathy is a reality thoughts pass from one mind to another voluntarily whether or not this fact is recognized by either the person releasing the thoughts or the persons who pick up those thoughts the person who gives expression by word of mouth to negative or destructive thoughts is practically certain to experience the results of those words in the form of a destructive kickback 
The release of destructive thought impulses alone, without the aid of words, produces also a kickback in more ways than one. First of all, and perhaps most important to be remembered, the person who releases thoughts of a destructive nature must suffer damage through the breaking down of the faculty of creative imagination. Secondly, the presence in the mind of any destructive emotion develops a negative personality which repels people and often converts them into antagonists. The third source of damage to the person who entertains or releases negative thoughts lies in the significant fact these thought impulses are not only damaging to others, but they embed themselves in the subconscious mind of the person releasing them and there become a part of his character. One is never through with a thought merely by releasing it. When a thought is released, it spreads in every direction through the medium of the ether, but it also plants itself permanently in the subconscious mind of the person releasing it. Your business in life is presumably to achieve success. To be successful, you must find peace of mind, acquire the material needs of life and above all, attain happiness. All of these evidences of success begin in the form of thought impulses. You may control your own mind. You have the power to feed it whatever thought impulses you choose. With this privilege goes also the responsibility of using it constructively. You are the master of your own earthly destiny, just as surely as you have the power to control your own thoughts. You may influence, direct and eventually control your own environment, making your life what you want it to be or you may neglect to exercise the privilege which is yours, to make your life to order, thus casting yourself upon the broad sea of circumstance where you will be tossed hither and yon like a chip on the waves of the ocean. The Devil's Workshop The Seventh Basic Evil in addition to the six basic fears, there is another evil by which people suffer. It constitutes a rich soil in which the seeds of failure grow abundantly. It is so subtle that its presence often is not detected. This affliction cannot properly be classed as a fear. It is more deeply seated and more often fatal than all of the six fears. For want of a better name, let us call this evil susceptibility to negative influences. Men who accumulate great riches always protect themselves against this evil. The poverty-stricken never do. Those who succeed in any calling must prepare their minds to resist the evil. If you are reading this philosophy for the purpose of accumulating riches, you should examine yourself very carefully to determine whether you are susceptible to negative influences. If you neglect this self-analysis, you will forfeit your right to attain the object of your desires. Make the analysis searching. After you read the questions prepared for this self-analysis, hold yourself to a strict accounting in your answers. Go at the task as carefully as you would search for any other enemy you knew to be awaiting you in ambush and deal with your own faults as you would with a more tangible enemy. You can easily protect yourself against highway robbers because the law provides organized cooperation for your benefit. But the seventh basic evil is more difficult to master because it strikes when you are not aware of its presence, when you are asleep and while you are awake. Moreover, its weapon is intangible because it consists of merely a state of mind. This evil is also dangerous because it strikes in as many different forms as there are human experiences. Sometimes it enters the mind through the well-meant words of one's own relatives and other times it boasts from within through one's own mental attitude. Always it is as deadly as poison even though it may not kill as quickly. How to protect yourself against negative influences? To protect yourself against negative influences, whether of your own making or the result of the activities of negative people around you, recognize that you have a willpower and put it into constant use until it builds a wall of immunity against negative influences in your own mind. 
Recognize the fact that you and every other human being are by nature lazy, indifferent and susceptible to all suggestions which harmonize with your weaknesses. Recognize that you are by nature susceptible to all the six basic fears and set up habits for the purpose of counteracting all these fears. Recognize that negative influences often work on you through your subconscious mind. Therefore, they are difficult to detect and keep your mind closed against all people who depress or discourage you in any way. Clean out your medicine chest, throw away all your pill bottles and stop pandering to colds, aches, pains and imaginary illness. Deliberately seek the company of people who influence you to think and act for yourself. Do not expect troubles as they have a tendency not to disappoint. Without doubt, the most common weakness of all human beings is the habit of leaving their minds open to the negative influence of other people. This weakness is all the more damaging because most people do not recognize that they are cursed by it and many who acknowledge it neglect or refuse to correct the evil until it becomes an uncontrollable part of their daily habits. To aid those who wish to see themselves as they really are, the following list of questions have been prepared. Read the questions and state your answers aloud so you can hear your own voice. This will make it easier for you to be truthful with yourself. Self-analysis test questions. Do you complain often of feeling bad and if so, what is the cause? Do you find fault with other people at the slightest provocation? Do you frequently make mistakes in your work and if so, why? Are you sarcastic and offensive in your conversation? Do you deliberately avoid the association of anyone and if so, why? Do you suffer frequently with indigestion? If so, what is the cause? Does life seem futile and the future hopeless to you? If so, why? Do you like your occupation? If not, why? Do you often feel self-pity and if so, why? Are you envious of those who excel you? To which do you devote most time thinking of success or of failure? Are you gaining or losing self-confidence as you grow older? Do you learn something of value from all mistakes? Are you permitting some relative or acquaintance to worry you? And if so, why? Are you sometimes in the clouds and at other times in the depths of despondency? Who has the most inspiring influence upon you? What is the cause? Do you tolerate negative or discouraging influences which you can avoid? Are you careless of your personal appearance? If so, when and why? Have you learned how to drown your troubles by being too busy to be annoyed by them? Would you call yourself a spineless weakling if you permitted others to do your thinking for you? Do you neglect internal bathing until anti-intoxication makes you ill-tempered and irritable? How many preventable disturbances annoy you and why do you tolerate them? Do you resort to liquor, narcotics or cigarettes to quiet your nerves? If so, why do you not try willpower instead? Does anyone nag you and if so, for what reason? Do you have a definite major purpose and if so, what is it and what plan? have you for achieving it? Do you suffer from any of the six basic fears? If so, which ones? Have you a method by which you can shield yourself against the negative influences of others? Do you make deliberate use of auto-suggestion to make your mind positive? Which do you value most? Your material possessions or your privilege of controlling your own thoughts? Are you easily influenced by others against your own judgment? Has today added anything of value to your stock of knowledge or state of mind? Do you face squarely the circumstances which make you unhappy or sidestep the responsibility? Do you analyze all mistakes and failures and try to profit by them or do you take the attitude that this is not your duty? Can you name three of your most damaging weaknesses? What are you doing to correct them? Do you encourage other people to bring their worries to you for sympathy? Do you choose from your daily experiences, lessons or influences which aid in your personal advancement? Does your presence have a negative influence on other people as a rule? What habits of other people annoy you most? 
Do you form your own opinions or permit yourself to be influenced by other people? Have you learned how to create a mental state of mind with which you can shield yourself against all discouraging influences? Does your occupation inspire you with faith and hope? Are you conscious of possessing spiritual forces of sufficient power to enable you to keep your mind free from all forms of fear? Does your religion help you to keep your own mind positive? Do you feel it your duty to share other people's worries and if so, why? If you believe that birds of a feather flock together, what have you learned about yourself by studying the friends whom you attract? What connection, if any, do you see between the people with whom you associate most closely and any unhappiness you may experience? Could it be possible that some person whom you consider to be a friend is in reality your worst enemy because of his negative influence on your mind? By what rules do you judge who is helpful and who is damaging you? Are your intimate associates mentally superior or inferior to you? How much time out of every 24 hours do you devote to A. Your occupation B. Sleep C. Play and relaxation D. Acquiring useful knowledge E. Plain waste Who among your acquaintances A. Encourages you most B. Cautions you most C. Discourages you most D. Helps you most in other ways What is your greatest worry? Why do you tolerate it? When others offer you free unsolicited advice, do you accept it without question or analyze their motive? What above all else do you most desire? Do you intend to acquire it? Are you willing to subordinate all other desires for this one? How much time daily do you devote to acquiring it? Do you change your mind often? If so, why? Do you usually finish everything you begin? Are you easily impressed by other people's businesses or professional titles, college degrees or wealth? Are you easily influenced by what other people think or say of you? Do you cater to people because of their social or financial status? Whom do you believe to be the greatest person living? In what respect is this person superior to yourself? How much time have you devoted to studying and answering these questions? At least one day is necessary for the analysis and the answering of the entire list. If you have answered all these questions truthfully, you know more about yourself than the majority of people. Study the questions carefully, come back to them once each week for several months and be astounded at the amount of additional knowledge of great value to yourself you will have gained by the simple method of answering these questions truthfully. If you are not certain concerning the answers to some of the questions, seek the counsel of those who know you well, especially those who have no motive in flattering you and see yourself through their eyes. The experience will be astonishing. You have absolute control over but one thing and that is your thoughts. This is the most significant and inspiring of all facts known to man. It reflects man's divine nature. This divine prerogative is the sole means by which you may control your own destiny. If you fail to control your own mind, you may be sure you will control nothing else. If you must be careless with your possessions, let it be in connection with material things. Your mind is your spiritual estate. Protect and use it with the care to which divine royalty is entitled. You are given a willpower for this purpose. Unfortunately, there is no legal protection against those who either by design or ignorance poison the minds of others by negative suggestion. This form of destruction should be punishable by heavy legal penalties because it may and often does destroy one's chances of acquiring material things which are protected by law. Men with negative minds tried to convince Thomas A. Edison that he could not build a machine that would record and reproduce the human voice because they said no one else had ever produced such a machine. Edison did not believe them. He knew that the mind could produce anything the mind could conceive and believe and that knowledge was a thing that lifted the great Edison above the common herd. 
Men with negative minds told F.W. Woolworth he would go broke trying to run a store on 5 and 10 cent sales. He did not believe them. He knew that he could do anything within reason if he backed his plans with faith. Exercising his right to keep other men's negative suggestions out of his mind, he piled up a fortune of more than $100 million. Men with negative minds told George Washington he could not hope to win against the vast superior forces of the British. But he exercised his divine right to believe, therefore this book was published under the protection of the stars and stripes, while the name of Lord Cornwallis has been all but forgotten. Doubting Thomas's scoofed scornfully when Henry Ford tried out his first crudely built automobile on the streets of Detroit. Some said the thing never would become practical. Others said no one would pay a penny for such a contraption. Ford said, I'll belt the earth with dependable motor cars, and he did. His decision to trust his own judgment has already piled up a fortune far greater than the next five generations of his descendants can squander. For the benefit of those seeking vast riches, let it be remembered that practically the sole difference between Henry Ford and a majority of the more than 100,000 men who work for him is this. Ford has a mind and controls it. The others have minds which they do not try to control. Henry Ford has been repeatedly mentioned because he is an astounding example of what a man with a mind of his own and a will to control it can accomplish. His record knocks the foundation from under that time-worn alibi. I never had a chance. Ford never had a chance either, but he created an opportunity and backed it with persistence until it made him richer than Croesus. Mind control is the result of self-discipline and habit. You can either control your mind or it controls you. There is no hallway compromise. The most practical of all methods for controlling the mind is the habit of keeping it with busy with a definite purpose backed by a definite plan. Study the record of any man who achieves noteworthy success and you will observe that he has control over his own mind. Moreover, that he exercises that control and directs it towards the attainment of definite objectives. Without this control, success is not possible. 57 Famous Alibis by Old Man If People who do not succeed have one distinguishing trait in common. They know all the reasons for failure and have what they believe to be airtight alibis to explain away their own lack of achievement. Some of these alibis are clever and few of them are justifiable by the facts. But alibis cannot be used for money. The world wants to know only one thing. Have you achieved success? A character analyst compiled a list of the most commonly used alibis. As you read the list, examine yourself carefully and determine how many of these alibis, if any, are your own property. Remember too, the philosophy presented in this book makes every one of these alibis obsolete. If I didn't have a wife and family, if I had enough pull, if I had money, if I had a good education, if I could get a job, if I had good health, if I only had time, if times were better, if other people understood me, if conditions around me were only different, if I could live my life over again, if I did not fear what they would say, if I had been given a chance, if I now had a chance, if other people didn't have it in for me, if nothing happens to stop me, if I were only younger, if I could only do what I want, if I had been born rich, if I could meet the right people, if I had the talent that some people have, if I dared assert myself, if I only had embraced past opportunities, if people didn't get on my nerves, if I didn't have to keep house and look after the children, if I could save some money, if the boss only appreciated me, if I only had somebody to help me, if my family understood me, if I lived in a big city,
if I could just get started, if I were only free, if I had the personality of some people, if I were not so fat, if my talents were known, if I could just get a break, if I could only get out of debt, if I hadn't failed, if I only knew how, if everybody didn't oppose me, if I didn't have so many worries, if I could marry the right person, if people weren't so dumb, if my family were not so extravagant, if I was sure of myself, if luck were not against me, if I had not been born under the wrong star, if it were not true that what is to be will be, if I did not have to work so hard, if I hadn't lost my money, if I lived in a different neighborhood, if I didn't have a past, if I only had a business of my own, if other people would only listen to me, if, and this is the greatest of them all, I had the courage to see myself as I really am, I would find out what is wrong with me and correct it, then I might have a chance to profit by my mistakes and learn something from the experience of others, for I know that there is something wrong with me, or I would now be where I would have been if I had spent more time analyzing my weaknesses and less time building alibis to cover them. Building alibis with which to explain away failure is a national pastime. The habit is as old as the human race and is fatal to success. Why do people cling to their pet alibis? The answer is obvious. They defend their alibis because they create them. A man's alibi is the child of his own imagination. It is human nature to defend one's own brainchild. Building alibis is a deeply rooted habit. Habits are difficult to break, especially when they provide justification for something we do. Plato had this truth in mind when he said, Plato had this truth in mind when he said, The first and best victory is to conquer self. To be conquered by self is, of all things, the most shameful and wild. Another philosopher had the same thought in mind when he said, It was a great surprise to me when I discovered that most of the ugliness I saw in others was but a reflection of my own nature. It has always been a mystery to me, said Elbert Hubbard, why people spend so much time deliberately fooling themselves by creating alibis to cover their weaknesses. If used differently, this same time would be sufficient to cure the weakness, then no alibis would be needed. In parting, I would remind you that life is a checkerboard and the player opposite you is time. If you hesitate before moving or neglect to move promptly, your men will be wiped off the board by time. You are playing against a partner who will not tolerate indecision. Firstly, you may have had a logical excuse for not having been forced life to come through with whatever you asked. But that alibi is now obsolete because you are in possession of the master key that unlocks the door to life's bountiful riches. The master key is intangible, but it is powerful. It is the privilege of creating in your own mind a burning desire for a definite form of riches. There is no penalty for the use of the key, but there is a price you must pay if you do not use it. The price is failure. There is a reward of stupendous proportions if you put the key to use. It is the satisfaction that comes to all who conquer self and force life to pay whatever is asked. The reward is worthy of your effort. Will you make the start and be convinced? If we are related, said the immortal Emerson, we shall meet. In closing, may I borrow his thought and say, if we are related, we have, through these pages, met. End of part 2. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Leave a review, share, subscribe to my podcast and also follow me on other social media handles. And I'll see you in the next 